All right, we're in Matthew chapter 5, as, as Kyle said. Hopefully you've turned there. And uh, as some of you are still making your way there, just by way of introduction this morning, I don't know if you guys heard it. How many of you heard the news story last week about the three-year-old boy who was lost overnight in a corn maze? Did you guys, any of you hear that story? A lot of you at this service have heard it. Nobody in the first two services had heard the story. A kid, mom and dad, took their kids to this corn maze in Utah, and they, they forgot one of their kids overnight. Like 12 hours later, and you're thinking, something just ain't right about that story. Like, what is going on? Well, then you come to find out they've got 14 kids. Like, like they, they just keeping their head above water is just like, you know. So it starts to shed light on how that would happen. I don't know if you, they, they were reunited and everything's fine and, and social services is still checking out to make sure that there's nothing adverse there. But I, how many of you have ever lost a kid? like, you know, just misplaced one of your children, uh, that's, that's unsettling, right? I remember my son, when he was two years old, he thought it would be a great idea to hide in the clothing rack in a department store. And we could not find him, and he thought it was the funniest thing in the world until we found him, and then he knew it was, there wasn't nothing funny about it, but oh my gosh. Now, if that's ever happened to you, or if you, even you can sympathize, you begin to have an idea of a father's heart for the lost, right? And, and when we read the Bible, what we come to find out is that God has a heart for his lost kids as well. Sometimes, you know, we have this thought of God that he's an angry God, that he's looking to punish us or, or whatever. That's not the heart of God at all. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And, and we read in Luke's gospel, in Luke 19, Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's in the search and rescue mission. And so this is the heart of God. And I, and I tell you that by way of introduction, because if you've been with us, you know we're going through a values series. We're looking at the eight values that shape and inform everything that we do as a church, as a body of believers. And the value we're going to be looking at today is the value of missional living. We live out here at Reliance Church a genuine faith and we intentionally share that faith with others. Why? Well, listen, because Jesus commands it. Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 14, Matthew chapter 28, uh, over and over again, Jesus says that we're to go into all the world and that we're to preach the good news to everyone. Which brings us here to Matthew chapter 5, and what we have here in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 and into chapter 6 actually is a very famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached this sermon, and he begins in the first verses talking about the blessings that we enjoy as God's children. That, that if you come to a saving faith, invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, that as God's child you have many abundant blessings. Which brings us then ultimately here to verse 13. And what we find out in verse 13 and following, not only does, does Jesus talk about the blessings that we have as God's children, but now he talks about the business that we should be about as God's children. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot 
by men. In the Greek, when it says it's good for nothing, literally the word is, we get the word moron from that. That, that when, you know, so, when you get to the place to where, you know, that you are not having a salty life for the Lord, basically, <laughs> Jesus is saying, at that point, we're morons. And, and salt in these days, metaphorically, it was primarily used as a preservative. And, and basically, because they lacked refrigeration, they lacked vacuum sealing and that kind of thing. And so what would happen is if they would slaughter an animal, they would take the meat that they would cook, the immediate meat that they would cook, but then obviously there's meat left over. And what they would do is they would salt that meat. And the meat or the salt on the meat would kill any surface bacteria that was on the meat, and it would then preserve the meat for future Use And what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, he's saying that you are the preserving influence in the world. And now we, 2,000 years later, we are the preserving influence in the world. This is what Jesus says. Now, if you look at world civilizations since the coming of Christ, wherever Christianity has gone, and wherever it has an active influence, then it serves as the preserving influence within that society, wherever it is. But wherever the Christian influence, wherever the Christian voice begins to wane, then what happens is society in those areas begins to deteriorate and ultimately begins to implode. And you see it demonstrated over and over and over again. And so Jesus is saying, look, as you're, you're a preserving influence as my disciples. He continues, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want you to notice something very particular there. Jesus doesn't say that we are to become salt and light. He simply says that we are salt and light. If you're a, follow, a follower of the Lord, if you've invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus says you are Salt and light. And by the things that you and I say and the things that we do, we either fulfill that or we fail that. We're either fulfilling the, the salt and light component of our Christianity or we're failing the salt and light component. Now, this is simultaneously the greatest compliment that we could receive from the Lord, but it's also the greatest responsibility. It's the greatest compliment because Jesus claimed the title of being the light of the world for himself. This was one of Jesus' titles for himself. He said this to his disciples in John chapter 8. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And Jesus went on from there a few verses later in chapter 9. He says, as long as I am in the world, speaking of himself, obviously, he said, I am the light of the world. So this is a title that Jesus had for himself 
And when he now, through this conference of his own title upon his disciples, upon you and me, takes his own title, confers it upon us, well, that is a great compliment. But it's also great responsibility for the very same reason. Because it implies that when we act as Jesus acted, as the hands and the feet of Christ and so on, that we are acting as his ambassadors. We're acting as his ambassadors. Now, if you, if you go to the dictionary, if you look up the word ambassador, what you're going to find is it says this. An ambassador is an official envoy. An ambassador is the resident representative of a kingdom. So if you are appointed as an ambassador of the United States and you go you know, to, to London, let's say, London, England, then you are an ambassador of the United States. You are a representative of of the United States of America. In other words, you represent your ruler, you do not represent yourselves. Your responsibility is, is to be your ruler's representative, not your representative. In other words, you can't unilaterally implement your own policies and procedures as an ambassador. You can't go to England and say, hey, guess what? I've decided that we don't like you, England, and we're going to remove our embassy and, and we're not going to you know, support you in, in any way, shape, or form and, and, and all of that. In fact, we're going to be opposed to you. You can't do that. Your ruler would find out and he would say, call you up on the phone, say, knock, knock, who's there? Not you anymore. You're fired. You would not be an ambassador, you know? So this is who we are as Christians. We're ambassadors of Christ, um, and so we are resident representatives of Jesus Christ, which means wherever you live, where, whoever God's placed you living next door to, your job there is to be a resident ambassador of your king, of your ruler, of Jesus. That's our job. That's our responsibility. Paul told the Ephesians, he said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light. Now, a key thought in these pictures of salt and light is, is distinction, the word distinction. In other words, we need to be distinctively different from the world in which we live. There need to, needs to be something distinctly different about how you live than the world in which you uh, are, are living. David Guzik said this, he said, to be effective, we must seek and display the Christian distinctive. We can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like the world. So Jesus says that salt is needed. Why? Well, because the world is rotting and decaying. And if our Christianity is also rotting and decaying, then our witness isn't going to be any good. And light, Jesus says, is needed because the world is in darkness. And, and so with the world being in darkness, if our life imitates the darkness, then what happens is we fail to, to, to shine and we have, we have nothing to show the world. I had a friend of mine, we, we went to the same high school. He was a, a year behind me. And I, I never met him in high school uh, I actually met him when I was grown and had three kids. We, we met, found out we went to the same high school, found out we ran in the same circles, ran with the same different guys. It's crazy that I never met him. But he hung out with the partiers, and I hung out with the partiers. And so, you know, our life before Christ had a lot of alcohol in it. 
And so he got saved, and it was a couple years out of high school. He decided he was going to go back and, and share the gospel with these guys. So he goes down, and, and he talks, calls his buddies up. He says, I'm coming down. They say, well, we're going out partying. Uh, you can come down if you want. You can, go, you can go with us. So he thinks, wow, what a great opportunity for, let my, for me to let my light shine. So he goes down, he hangs out with them, and he's wearing a shirt that says, expect a miracle. And he says, well, he, he thought, well, you know what, I'll have a beer and I'll show them that you can have a beer and then just have it be one beer and then that'll be it. And he said, well, one beer became two beers and two beers became four beers. And he said, before the night was over, he said, I was the one that needed the miracle, you know. And so here he blew it. He had this incredible opportunity to let his light shine and instead, what he did was he, he, he lived for himself, and, and his life imitated the darkness, and he had, he had no light to shine to the people. He had to repent to the Lord and, and recognize a failed opportunity. So for us, being the light of the world, it means not only that we are light receivers, listen, it means we are light distributors, that we are light givers. In other words, we can't just live for ourselves. We have to have a genuine concern for the people that, that the Lord is concerned about, which happens to be the whole world. We have to have someone to shine our light to, right? And we have to do it intentionally. That's the point. We have to let our light shine intentionally. Why? Because they're precious to their master. That's why. Maybe they're, they're resistant, maybe, maybe Jesus is not their master, but Jesus is your master, and they're precious to him. This week, Brenda was leaving, she was going out on some errands, I was working from my office at home that, that particular day, and she, she calls me a couple minutes after she leaves the house, and she says, hey, there's, there's this dog running around our neighborhood, and, and he's got you know, one of those cones, right? You know, the cone of shame that they put on the dog? Now he's got that cone that he's wearing. She goes, it clearly belongs to somebody. So why don't you see if you can go, go out? I'm like, all right. So I go out, and she hears this dog. He's, he's down towards, towards the end of the street. A gorgeous husky, big dog, got these gorgeous blue eyes, and clearly well taken care of, and, and he's running loose. So, so I'm like, hey, come here, buddy. Come on, come on. And the dog... I'm thinking, oh, the, you know, I'm walking towards it, and the dog's kind of looking at me. So then I, I just kind of crouch down. I'm calling this dog, and the dog starts just charging at me, you know? He's a big dog. I'm thinking, was this such a good idea, you know? Well, I mean, it, it turns out it's a gal. She's just totally, she's happy to see me and just loving, and I'm trying to get her tagged so that I can call. And... And, you know, make a long story short, I get a hold of the owner. He says, yeah, I'll send my wife down. Thank you so much. I put the dog in our backyard for safekeeping. Now, somebody did that for me at one time. When we had a dog and he got out, I was so grateful. I'm not the kind of guy, I'd like to say that I am compassionate like this all the time. I'm not the kind of guy that collects stray dogs. I mean, usually I'm like, oh, bummer for you. You know, there's your dog. <clears throat> Some of y'all, you, you collect stray dogs, stray kittens, stray turtles, whatever it is. Like that you'd keep them in your backyard for weeks and put up signs. I'm not that guy. But somebody once did that for me. I was so grateful. They, they took, you know, grabbed my little dog and he'd gotten out. And uh, they kept him in the backyard for me. And, and I was so grateful. So I was happy to, to help. And I take this dog and the lady comes down. She thanks me, takes her dog. And, and away they are. And they, they go. And, and the idea is, why did I do that? Well, because the dog's precious to somebody, and, and the dog's out there. The dog's lost. 
And, and so, so I'm thinking, well, geez, I need to do this. And the example is kind of good for us because what happened was, did I know the dog was lost? I didn't. But my, my wife saw that the dog was lost and she called me. And kind of metaphorically speaking, that's what God does with us. Is all of a sudden, God will call you up and he'll put somebody on your radar and he'll say, hey, they need you. Like, they're lost. Now, we don't always get the message that way. We don't always hear it that way. Sometimes we get the message and, you know, somebody moves in next door and we think, oh, man, are they going to be quiet like my cool next door neighbors that were moving out? Oh, gosh, there he is with the beer. There he is with his buddies. Great. Welcome to the neighborhood, loser. You know, and you, we, sometimes we have that attitude. But at that moment, maybe God's calling us up and he's saying, there's your mission opportunity right there. He's lost. Would you help me find him? Like, man, that. And listen, when we do that, we're simply joining Jesus in the work that he's already doing. Jesus is already at work doing this. Listen to what Tim Keller said. He said, God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission, and the church must join him. This also means, he continues, that the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. What that means is that you are our missions department, Reliance Church. Right here, I'm looking at our missions department. We exist to be a mission. We exist to be on mission. Ed Stetzer, in his book, Planting Missional Churches, he says this, Missional living is rooted in the triune sending God. The fact that God is a sender is connected with the very existent, uh, existence of the church. Now, we see an example of this. We see this reflected. John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. We read this. Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. There's a missional commission, right? The Father sent Jesus on mission. It's been said that God has only, God has only one son, and his son was a missionary. And so there's a missional commission. As the Father has sent me, I also, Jesus says, send you. Missional commission. You say, well, he said that speaking to his disciples. Yes, he did. And by implication, by you, to you and me as his disciples as well. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here is we see the Trinity. We see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together, all acting together as senders. That's important. The Father sent and empowered Jesus missionally. Jesus now sends and empowers us missionally. And we need to understand that this is fundamental to who God is. He's a missional God. And so missional living for us, it's not optional. It's not like you can go, "Eh, you know what, I'm not into missions. Yeah, you are. Because your father is a missional God. And your salvation is missionally rooted and grounded. And your service to God, which is required of all of us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. And that's required for all of us. We'll look at that next week. It's missional. 
So it's not optional for us. And by the way, it's not incidental. It's not like, oh, yeah, fine, I'll be missional when it's convenient for me. No, you can't participate in Christ without participating in His mission to the world. And missional living doesn't just happen by chance, but it happens intentionally. We have to be very intentional about living a missional life. Jesus illustrates, by the way, the intentional aspect of our missional living by using this illustration of a lampstand. What is a lampstand? What is its purpose? Its purpose is to broadcast light so that we can see. And Jesus says, you know, you take a lampstand, you don't put it under a basket, right? You, you light this lamp and you put it up on a lampstand so that it elevates the light, so that it broadcasts the light as far as it possibly can. And the same way we also, we need to look for ways to let our light shine in greater and in broader ways. Why? Because that's why we were created, to be missional in how we let our light shine. We need to be like that city that's set on a hill. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, The object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us, and that that would cause them to cry, what a father these people must have. Then he makes this observation. He says, is, is not this the first time in the New Testament that God is called our father? And it is. This is the first time Jesus calls God our father. And, and Charles Spurgeon said, is it not significant that the first time it peeps out that God is our Father should be when men are seeing the good works of his children? I love that quote. God our Father is a missional God, and we his children are missional, and that is the mandate. And so biblically, here's what we see. We see that God the Father enacted missional living. We see that Jesus Christ embodied missional living. We see that the Holy Spirit empowers missional living. And we see that God's children, you and me, we now have the duty to exercise missional living, which brings me to my final point. Culture is the context in which we execute missional living. Our culture is the context in which we execute missional living. In other words... Missional living does not happen inside the church. It happens outside the church. Happens outside the Christian bubble, okay? The idea is, I mean, we, we Christians, we're good at this. We get together and, you know, it's us four and no more. And then we're going we're gonna to gather and we're going we're gonna to push the world out. And we're just going to have our little safe space. And, you know, we're all going to do this together. And we're all going to do that together. And we're all going to do this together. And you go, wait, 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 hold on. Isn't that biblical? Doesn't the Bible say that bad company corrupts good character? Yes, it does. But it also says that we're to be salt and light to a lost world. Engaging culture is the key component to being a missional Christian. Engaging your culture in which you live. It's a key component to missional living. The Christian bubble needs to be burst. Yes, we need to spend time together as Christians. Yes, we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. But it's an equipping so that we can fulfill our calling, and part of our calling for every single person 
is that we would live out in the community and we would live missionally, live oriented to those who are going to hell. One pastor in telling, you know, preaching his message, he said there's millions of people going to hell and you guys don't, and many of you guys don't give a damn about it. And then he just let that sit there and he said, and what I'm most concerned as he continued is that many of you are more concerned that I, your pastor, just said the word damn than you are the millions of people that are going to hell. Now, I'm not saying that about you guys, but here's what I am saying. I'm saying that all of us need to understand that missional living is, is of utmost priority and we need to take it seriously. And none of us is immune to it. We are all going to give an account to the Lord for the people that he's placed in our path and hit, who he has, you know, as Brenda called me, he said, hey, this dog's out here, you need to get him. For the people the Lord has called and said, hey, this person's out here, he's lost, you need to go after him. We need to take time to understand people, their needs, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their fears. We need to live in relationship with the people of our community. Let me ask you some tough questions. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know them by name? Do you have any non-Christian friends that you reach out to? See, these are the things we need to take a walk with. Years ago, I had a, a, a live next door to a guy, and um, we lived next door to this guy for many years. And, uh, and by God's grace, I really just, I, I endeavored to be a good neighbor to him, be a good friend. I just wanted to, to, to genuinely know and care about the guy. Now, as I did that, um, I, I was very straightforward about who I am, about where I come from, about what my belief system is. I mean, I just, you know, he knew I was a pastor of a church, and, I, and at every opportunity I was looking, you know, to, to be faithful to, to the Lord and not to compromise. But at the same time, uh, I wasn't looking to be the God squad in his life, you know. I wasn't looking to, to, to be a salesman and close the deal. You know, and so, so I was just trying to, I was trying to love the guy and, and get to know him, you know, help him every once in a while. If he has something going on, hey, you need help with that or whatever, you know, just act, just what friends try to do. And then one day, you know, you live next door to somebody, you notice things and I, we noticed something and I, and so I went to him, I was like, hey man, everything okay? I'm noticing this and he's like, no, everything's not okay. And he began to share with me the trial he was going through, it was a huge trial and I, and I was able, because of the relationship that we had, I was just able to say to him, look, um, you know, I, I kind of deal with this a lot, you know, sort of in the course of, in the context of what I do. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about what you're going through. Could I, could I just sit down with you? Now, he invited me to do that by God's grace on the, because what happened was we had a relationship that had been established and, and, and it wasn't that our encounters were, you know, me trying to, to, to broker some sale and to close some deal. It was just trying, me trying to, to love this guy. This is the thing that we need to do. We need to, to take the time to get to know people's needs and desires and their hopes and dreams and so on. And doing, doing what we can just to, just to reach out to them. You know, not try to close a sale. Now, conversely, I, I had a guy I used to work with years ago, and I ran into him. We both were bringing patients into the ER. He, I was a paramedic in one fire department. He was a paramedic in another one. We hadn't seen each other in maybe 10 years. We bumped into each other. Like, 
whoa, dude, how are you? So, so we're talking, and he says, how are you? I said, I'm good, man. My wife and I, we just had our third child. He said, that's so great. Hey, me and my wife, we'd love to come out and see you, see your new kid. I said, man, that would be so good. So we set up a time for him to come over to the house. He shows up alone, and I kid you not, the guy tried to sell me Amway. Now, I got nothing against Amway. If you sell Amway, great. But don't be like this guy. Because then what happened, the whole thing about, oh, hey, how are you doing? And the glad handing, and oh, we'd love to come see your baby. No, you wouldn't. You would love to come have me buy some Amway from you and spend some money. And some people are Christians like this. And they're just constantly looking to close the deal, man, and just get another Christian mark on, on you know, the whatever. You know? <laughs> God help me. It's third service. <laughs> and we have a duty as Christians to contend for the faith, certainly. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we compromise. I'm not saying that we throw out the faith. I'm not saying... You know, that, that, that we, we are abandoning the things that, that make us Christian and the responsibilities that we have. I mean, Jude 1.3 says we're to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's for sure. But what it means is, look, we stay faithful to Jesus. We don't compromise His message. But at the same time, we are genuinely concerned about other people. Just taking the time to love them and be involved in their lives and so on. So, so critically important. But apart from engaging our culture relationally like that, then what happens is when we contend for the faith, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. Right? So important that we do this. This year, we, um, in years past, we've, we've done Halloween outreaches. Big carnivals spend ten thousand dollars on 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 you know car, some Halloween alternative outreach, and what we came to realize as we were looking at we're like in in all the years that we were doing it one person came to know the Lord. I'm like that's wasted money. We're gonna stop doing that. Let's put that let's put that money into doing vacation Bible school. So we started doing vacation Bible school, and and I mean, we've seen over a thousand kids come to know the Lord just by focusing on doing that kind of outwork, outreach. So I'm like, we're doing that. But then what we started doing is we started doing um, the the trunk or treat deal. You know, hey, let's just do a trunk or treat. Give people you know this this safe alternative for their kids. And during Halloween, we can do that. Well, you might have noticed we didn't do one this year. And and, it's, and the reason I, I'm like, you know what? I want people to go out in the community, just love their neighbors, and share Christ with their neighbors, and just be involved. And not that we're, you know, we're not going to celebrate evil or anything like that. But hey, here's a thought. Let's just, I mean, what ha- I don't know what happens in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood. People like they'll do a fire out in, out in their driveway, and they'll they'll sit out there, and neighbors will get together and they'll talk. And I had one of my deacons tell me. He said it was amazing this year. I engaged my neighbor. I don't, I don't know that he knows the Lord, but, I, but I've been trying to share you know, my faith with him. And we had the most incredible conversation where I was able to, to it, it, it got really intensely personal and it was, it was actually really good. And I was able to help the guy. And he said, and as I was talking to him, I consciously thought, you know, if I were at Trunk or Treat working tonight, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do this. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. We just want to be Christians in where God's put us and let our light shine and, and love people and minister to them. That's what 
the body of Christ is supposed to be about. Our young adults this year on, on Halloween, they meet in a, in a house in Harveston. And they decided, hey, we're going to reach out to our community. And so that's what they did. They all met at that house. And then on, on Halloween, as people came by, they're passing out candy and they're doing like games for the kids and stuff. And they're inviting people to church and, and having the opportunity to share their faith. It was awesome. Man, all the testimonies coming back and the pictures and so on. That's what we want. That, that's the kind of stuff. Next year, we'll encourage all of, all of our home fellowships. Like, hey, you want to do something on Halloween? Get together. Do something there. We encourage you. Go get to know your neighbors. Share the love of Jesus with them. You know, Tell the kids that are coming that Jesus loves them. Reach out to their community. This is what we, we don't need plans and programs and all that stuff. We just need to be the body of Christ that has a missional attitude, missional heart. Just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, man. Now, engaging culture in the way that I'm talking to, it's often referred to as contextualization. Big fancy word, contextualization. Here's what it means. It means just using what the Apostle Paul called the means. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, I have become all things to all men that I might, here it is, by all means, save some. Now this I do, he said, for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. In other words, listen, the, con- the idea of contextualization is simply this, that we show people how the gospel is relevant to their actual lives. That we show people how the gospel is relevant to their actual life. Now, if I'm going to show somebody how the gospel is relevant to their actual life, doesn't it stand to reason that I actually have an idea of what their actual life is? In other words, I can't just show up and say, hey, God squad here, and let me close the deal and tell you all about Jesus. No, I need to know about your life, right? I need to know about your actual life. And then in the process, contextualization is I say, here's how the gospel is relevant to your life. And notice I say how the gospel is relevant to their life. I'm not saying, you know, that uh, how we make the gospel relevant to their life. No, you don't make the gospel relevant to somebody's life. It is relevant to people's life. Let me give you an example. Unless you've lived under a rock, you know about the current news story with Harvey Weinstein, right? The guy's accused of sexually assaulting a number of people, and now people are feeling emboldened because it's come to light and so many people are stepping forward, that many more people are stepping forward to say, yeah, that happened to me too. And tragically, this is the age that we live in, and it illustrates the, the fact that there are many victims of abuse and assault. We've got men, women, children who've been sexually abused, who've been violently assaulted, people who've been raped, people who've been molested. Maybe, maybe that, that describes you. Statistically, it does. Now, maybe you've got an unsaved neighbor or friend who's struggling with this, who's, who's, who's really deeply wounded, scarred, because they, they themselves are a victim of abuse in some of these areas that I've talked about. Let me ask you a question. How, do you, how is the gospel relevant to them? How do you contextualize the gospel for them? In their situation. Well, here's the truth. Listen, the gospel message is that Jesus, God in the flesh, 
was himself assaulted, he was abused, he was beaten, and he was murdered. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus understands our weaknesses because he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. And the good news for these victims in our day is that we worship a God who himself identifies not just with specific suffering, but he he identifies with their specific suffering. And not only does he identify with them, but the Bible says that, that God, he covers their shame. The Bible says that God cleanses their sin. That he he makes them clean and righteous in his sight. That he gives them a new name. That he gives them a new identity. Listen, no longer, the Bible teaches, no longer are they defined by what their abusers did to them. No, they're now defined by what Jesus did for them on the cross. No other religion... No other belief system, no other philosophy offers a God like that. And people are starving to hear that good news. And that's the, you tell them this context. You say, look, this that I've just described, Jesus is revealed through you. That's how it happens. This light is revealed through you. Just letting your light shine. Just taking the time to hear somebody's story and to put their story in the context of God's story. To where you say, yes, this happened to you and my Lord and Savior, it happened to him. And here's what that can mean for you. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That word glorify, it means literally to extol or to praise. Here's the idea. The idea is to cause the glory and the worth of God to become manifest and acknowledged. That's the idea. That as you let your light shine, that that what happens is the glory and the worth of God becomes manifest to the people that you're letting your light shine before. What is a manifest? It's like, here's all this stuff in the box, and the manifest tells me very clearly what's in there. You're letting the light shine is supposed to let people tell very clearly, this is who God is, and this is what He does, and this is what that means to, to you in the context in which you live. And it becomes manifest to them, and they acknowledge it. That's our hope. And listen, God has prescribed it. He's arranged it. He's ordered it. It's you. You are salt. You are light. This is how it goes down. You're the only gospel some people are going to read. It happens, Jesus says, through missional living, by being salt and light to a desperate and dying world. Look, this is our job. Jesus' last words that he told his disciples in Acts 1.8, he says this, he says to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, listen, what he's saying is that missional living starts locally and it moves globally. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You look at a map, it's like, this is where we live in Jerusalem. And the next, next town outward, Judea, Samaria. 
then to the ends of the earth. This is how it works in our lives. So, you know, we think about missions and we go, oh, you know, Africa. Or in our case here at the church, Ireland. Or Papua New Guinea. Or Siberia. Or Italy. Or Panama. These are all international missions that we're involved in. And so you think that. Yes, it is that, but it's so much more than that. And for you, my question is, how's your Jerusalem look? What kind of a witness are you being? How are you living missionally where you're at? What people has God placed in your circle of influence? What people has God called you on the phone, metaphorically speaking, and said, hey, this person's in your neighborhood, they're lost. And so this is our application of this value this week. We want you to intentionally engage culture for Jesus through the way you missionally live your life.